Alright, you may be seated or sit up in bed or roll over in bed or uh, sit up in your recliner, uh, whatever you may do. But it's just amazing that uh, as we come here this morning to uh, continue our journey on the names of God. Uh, we started this series last week, actually I started the series 12 years ago, believe it or not. It was the first series that I preached when we started this church. Uh, we got a photograph back there that we're going to be putting up here when we have our dedication service. And it's 12 years almost to the Sunday, if you can imagine that. And, uh, you know, the name uh, names are important, not just in our culture, but especially in the Israelites' culture. A name was more than a name. A name was a description. A description of a person's family, a description of their character, a description of who they were, um, and, and name had significance. Uh, it carried weight with it. It carried respect with its name. You know, much like in many respects in small town America today, a name carries a lot of weight as well. Um, it's because in most small towns, families know families. They know generations of family. Oh, that's so-and-so, that's his grandson or his granddaughter, or that's his son or that's his daughter. And if your family was honorable and they were uh, respected for generations, then your name carried a weight. It carried the honor of the past generations of who your family was and who you are. And the character of all those things um, carried it with the name. Well, the same is true with God. When we come to the name of God throughout history and through all of eternity, it, its name or his name carries weight and honor. In fact, so much so in our so much so in our little minds and understanding, God is so powerful. God is so awesome that the name of God is not adequate to describe our great God, and He is a great God. Amen, Brother Van, if you're watching. Uh, I need you to say amen right there. <laughs> the Bible gives us a treasure in the names of God. It's a privilege to know, identify these names, to dig deep into them, to get to know God, to know Him on a level more than just a surface name. It's that we can understand Him. We can believe His character. We can believe in who He is and His greatness. Last week we began with the name Elohim. I think I called it Elohim last week. You could say it the, the Hebrew way, or you could say it the redneck way. You could say it an educated way, an educated way. It doesn't matter. It matter what matters is what it means. El, the strong one, the mighty one, the God from whom nothing is impossible. I love that. The God who created the heavens and the earth spoke into existence the almighty God. And Ella, or Elohim, to swear an oath or to make a covenant, the same God who's mighty, the same God who created it all, desired to have a relationship with you and with me and a covenant with his people. He, he desired to be a relational God. He, in his character, who he was and who he is, it's that his one true God contains in himself all these things. And in that, it's plural, the attributes of God, the mighty one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They desire to have a covenant relationship with people. 
You think about it, God did not create you and me and leave us. He had a purpose. He had a relationship in mind with us. He had a purpose for you and for me. And what an awesome name. I was thinking about it this week. What an awesome God. And he would want anything to do with me. That God, in his greatness, in his power, in his mighty, uh, as being the mighty one, he would come down to my level in a covenant with me to have a relationship with him. That when my life goes away, <clears throat> when everything turns on me, when I'm in my deepest failure, he's there for me. He's in a relationship with me. I can call upon his name. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's the mighty one. He is the one who is able. That when we call on his name, he is able. <clears throat> he is not weak. His hand is not short. He's the God who is able. And I can give you a testimony right here to stand here as I stand here this morning. I'm a nobody. We did a whole series about that. I have not one bit of ability. But the mighty God that I serve does. He does. And then when I look around, I see he has done something. Not just in my life, but in the life of this church. Just to think back through the names and the people and the families and the hearts that God has changed. Not me, but the mighty God. The one who has a relationship with him. The one who cares. The one who empowers his people. And from where I stand this morning, he is a mighty one. And not only what he has done, but what he's going to do. What he will do in our lives, what he will do in us and through us, and we can't even imagine what he will do. The mighty one who will do things in our marriages, do things in our homes, do things with our lives, do things with our hearts. Praise God, he's able. He's able to do it. And he's a mighty God. And he has a relationship with us. And when we praise and we worship God. And we bring who we are and who God is. And we meet him in that moment of worship. We should fall on our knees and lift up our voice to the mighty God. Who is able. Who loves. Who cares. Man. I'm going to tell you. That's worth you sitting up in your bed for. Right? That's worth you getting out of your recliner to say Amen. If you can't say amen, say oh my, right? If you can't say oh my, say good, call someone and say, he's a mighty God. Like, like he is able. And look, he's done something in my life. He's done something in my family's life. He's done something in the life of this church. Now listen, you may only hear one thing. And the one thing you must hear today is he is a mighty God. He has a plan for your life. That's what we talked about last week. The second and even just as awesome as the name of God we want to focus on this morning. Adonai. A-D-O-N-A-I. Kind of stumbled on that one. That Alabama education was kicking in right there. But uh, Adonai. As we progress through these names, I, I want you to think about it this way. It's going to bring us to a deeper understanding who God is. We're going to peel back the layers. We're going to grow closer to God as we do it. And every week, every week, we're challenged with a question. Are we going to get closer to God? Do you desire to know God more personally and powerfully in your life? If you are, it's going to be an incredible journey. I asked last week in the last building, or the old building for the last time, one question. 
Are you closer to God today than when you were when you first came in this place? Some people may have been 10 years. Some people may have been the whole 11 years. Some people may have been five years, three years, one year. Were you closer to God that day than you were at any moment in your past? And to be honest with you, I know some could not say yes to that question. Uh, I have personally heard and, see, and heard some speak with conviction and regret over the fact that at some point in their life, their relationship with God has faded rather than flourished. That they were not as close to God now as they were then. And I get it. Walking with God is tough. It, it's not easy. You have marriage issues. It pulls you away from God. You have children issues. It pulls you away from God. Kids have issues at school. It pulls you away from God. You have issues with your flesh and worldly desires that pull you away from God. All those things dragging us and pulling us away. This world is on super warp speed to draw people of God away from Him. That's just the way it works. And if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, if we're not desiring or seeking after it, the, our relationship with God will, will fade rather than flourish. And for us as Christians, we must constantly refocus. We must constantly recalibrate. I always like to say it's like shooting an arrow. If you shoot an arrow and you aim right at the target, but you're 50 yards away, what's going to happen? It's going to hit pretty short, right? It's not going to hit the mark. It's going to fall short. But if you aim higher when you shoot the arrow, if you aim higher than the target, eventually you're going to get to a point where you can hit the target. Because you compensate for your failure. You compensate for the distance between you and the target. For us as Christians, how far away are you from God? How high are you aiming? Do you want all of God or do you just want enough to ease your conscience? Do you want all of God or do you want enough just to say it's cool to go to church on Sunday? Do you want all of God and all that he has for you? Because that's what we should be aiming for. And the distance between you and God should be really, really close. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're far from God and you're falling short. Got some good news for you. Oh yeah, it's great news, by the way. This morning, we have a chance to hit the reset button. You and I have a chance to, to change our relationship with God. Oh yeah, we have a chance to get our joy back. We have a chance to get our closeness back in God. We have a chance to get our, our, our lives right with God. And in a minute, in a moment here, as we commit our lives to God, and we commit our lives new and afresh to Adonai, to the God who is our master, to the God who has all the cards in his hands, Adonai. And then 10 years from now, or 5 years from now, or 20 years from now, when you're asked the same question, are you closer to God now? You don't have to be ashamed. You can say yes. Yes, I'm closer to God today than I was 5 years ago. Adonai. What's so special about Adonai? Adonai is Lord. In the English Bible, it's a capital L followed by O-R-D. There's that Alabama education again right there. 
in, in small letters though. And you get capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's another name we're going to talk about in a few weeks. But Adonai can be translated as master. It's 215 times in the Bible it's used just to refer to men as a common master of men. Lowercase l, obviously, referring to just nobility or a ruler over the people. However, it's used even in the singular form, Adon. But yet, when it refers to God, it's plural. It's Adonai. It's capital L-O-R-D. It's in the plural form. It refers to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Together, the, the, together it means God is master of all. God is master of all. God is Lord. It's one thing to know God is Elohim, your creator, and the, has a purpose for your life, but it's a whole nother thing to know him as Adonai, as your master, as one who holds all the cards, like I said earlier. So turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read a great story. We're going to get to see where this first uh, name of Adonai was used. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, he's dealing with Abram, who ends up being Abraham. It's okay. In the Old Testament, they change their names. It's kind of like in the South with nicknames, right? You ask someone their name, they tell you one name, someone knows them as another name, and another name, and another name. But in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Abram's, Abram's name was changed to Abraham, but now it's the same guy, Abram. God has a covenant with Abram. He wants to do something in Abram's life. He wants to call him to, to be a part of something that's different in God's kingdom. Abraham gets this promise with God, but Abraham struggles. In verse, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house in Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. It's the verse we read. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram's a great story of faith and trust in God, but it wasn't pretty. Abram had some decisions to make. It's a real story of what it means to declare God not just as, as God, but as Adonai, as master, as Lord of your life. When we read these verses, we see a struggle between what Abraham sees with his eyes and what God has said about his covenant with Abraham. What we see here is what Abraham knows about himself and what God sees in Abraham. Abram sees an old man who's withered in strength, who could not see or could not imagine 
that he could have a child, an heir. So he is planning, scheming his own ways to fulfill God's promise. He even says in verse 2 here, he says, you're looking, you're talking to an old man. And in my life, I've tried, I'm physically unable to do, and you haven't given me any offspring, God. This is Abram's understanding. This is his own plan and his own way of doing it. God and has said, and, and what God has said, Abraham is saying to God, I can't do it. It's not going to happen. Then comes verse 4 and verse 5. God says, you're correct, Abram. You can't do it. And what you've done is not what I said. And what you've done is not what I said was going to be. And he says, but look at the stars and see those stars. Can you even number them? Then the climax of this encounter comes in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted to him righteousness. Man, if you get that in its true meaning and purpose, it's shouting grounds right there. I mean, if you think about it, you sit up in bed, put your coffee down, right? <laughs> if you think about it, put Facebook down for a moment. Read verse 6. He believed in Adonai. The first time the name, the Lord is a master, is used in the Bible. He believed in the master of all. And God accounted to him as righteous deeds. Righteousness. Think about it. We go back. I want to work through it and do some application this time. Go back and look at it through the understanding of this encounter that God has with Adam, I mean Abraham has with Adonai. And let's look at it in the view of our lives. How can we take the same principles? This doesn't translate word for word to our lives, but the principles of God we can find in the Old Testament does translate to our lives. First, we must recognize that we are not the master. Can you hear that again? <laughs> I do in my life. We must recognize we are not the master. What is it that we think we should control and direct our lives? So many times we want to tell God what our plans are. We want to say, God, here's my plans and you're going to bless them. It doesn't work that way. We're not the master. Sadly, like Abram, just like in my life, just like in your life, and just like everyone who tries to do it in their own hands, in their own way, they're going to learn the hard way. He tried to accomplish God's plan in his own way. It was a disaster. It was a, it was a mess. I mean, it was brutally an attempt that failed brutally. And Abram here is now confessing and admitting, I've tried. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. It's absolutely unable to be what you say it's going to be, God. Abram's at the end of his understanding. He's at the end of his own strength. Let me tell you, that's exactly where you'll find yourself when you try to control and be your own master. doesn't matter what it's at. I found out in marriage early on, and I keep learning this lesson. When you come to the end of your own understanding, your end of your own strength, then God's ready to work. 
If we want to try to control it, we want to try to manipulate, we want to try to change our spouse, guess what's going to happen? A disaster. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. If we try to do that in our family, as a parent, I try to change my kids' lives, try to impose rules on them or make them. Even though I can still whip both of my boys. <laughs> Tanner thinks he's possibly going to try to take me on one time soon, but he better bitch press a lot more than 300 pounds, I told him that. <laughs> but if you think about trying to impose your life, your will, your way on your children, it's going to be a disaster. Only God can change their hearts. Only God can give them direction. If we try to do it in our careers, if we try to manipulate our way or plan our way or try to get our jobs or try to work out our jobs, listen, it's going to be a disaster. If we try to do it in our finances, we try to manipulate, we try to pull, we try to gain, we try to do whatever we can to do it, it's going to leave us at the end of our own strength. It's going to leave us hopeless and helpless, just like Abraham. You've got to get to a point. Maybe you're there right now. Just like Abraham would say, I'm at the end of the road. I'm, I'm, I'm at the very end. And that's where God wants you to be. He's getting your heart ready. He will take you through the process to get you ready to meet Adonai. When you say you're not the master, when you humble yourself and say, God, I'm not in control. When you humble yourself and say, God, I've made a mess. I cannot do it. You humble yourself and now you're ready, you're prepared to meet who really is Adonai in your life. The second thing I want you to read from the story, get from the story, is that when we're ready, get ready to hear from God because he will speak to us. He will speak to us. In verse 4, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. It's the third time the word of God came to Abram, but now this time he was ready. He was prepared. He was ready to hear it. Listen, God doesn't want us to stay busted and disgusted, all right? He doesn't want us to punish us or destroy us. He plans and he prepares and he disciplines us that he may speak to us, that he may change us for good, not bad. That he wants to make some of your marriage. He wants to make some of this church. He wants to make some of our country. He's preparing us. He doesn't want to just make you, uh, destroy you or punish you. I'm so grateful we serve a God like that. And I'm so grateful that God, he never gives up. He never gives up. In our darkest and deepest moments when we clench our own power understanding, God comes and he seeks us out and he speaks a word to us. Very blessed to have a wonderful, godly dad. He's not a perfect dad, but I know he loves me. And I know he loves God. And I must admit, many times I get pretty discouraged. I've had a great, great privilege and blessing to work with my dad every day. Many times he sees me at the worst. He sees me when I'm ready to give up. Sees me when I feel like punching someone in the face. <laughs> he sees it when I'm ready to, when, when, I, when I feel like I'm never going to get through something. For me, people who know me, my coping mechanism is a pity party. I, I withdraw. I pull in. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want them to talk to me. I don't want to be bothered at all. Leave me alone. 
But without fail, my dad, he'll always seek me out. He sees me, and he comes to me, and I'll sneer at him, and I'll snap at him, and I'll ignore him, but he just keeps coming. <laughs> and he says, hey, Theo. That's what he called me. Every time he calls me Theo, which is short for Theodore, by the way, if you didn't know that. He calls me by that name. I know. It's time to, to listen up. And he'll say, Sometimes he'll say, son, get your head, well, I won't tell you what he said that part, but anyhow, he's, get your head up, how about that? Or he'll say, son, you're doing good. You're doing good, son. Keep fighting the fight. Sometimes he'll say, the same pants you got mad in, the same pants you're going to get glad in. Suck it up. Get out of the pity party. But every time, without fail, my dad comes to me, and he seeks me out, like a good father would do, and say, hey, Here's a word for you. And as good as my dad is about doing that, Adonai is even better. God is even better than that. When we're down, when we're at the end of the rope, when we've exhausted all that we have done, then the word of the Lord comes again. It's the God of another chance. It's the God for you to get your life straight with him. It's the, God, it's the God who says, I'm knocking on the door of your heart again, Abraham, for the third time. For the third time. You need to hear a word from the Lord this morning. Got good news for you. Adonai will speak it to you. And what God said to Adonai changed his life forever. Put God said to Abram, I'm sorry, change his life forever. And it can yours too. Third thing, we must recognize that only God can accomplish his will in our lives. We are not the master. God will speak to us. God's the only one who can accomplish his will in our life. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be the heir. He's saying, This one that you've done, useless. What Abraham tried to do in his own way and strength is not what God wanted. Verse 5, then God brought him outside and said, Look, look to the heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. God says to Abram, look to the heaven. Man, when you get out in the country and you see out that vast expanse of the sky, say, look, look across the sky and count the stars. Sometimes you can see God's sense of humor and things, right? He says, even if you can even number them. Think about it. Count the stars. If you could even number them, Abram, Abram, you know what he's saying? You're not God. I'm so great and grand. I'm the creator and sustainer of all the universe and all the heavens of creation. Why are you trying to do it on your own? You can't even count the stars that I've made. You can't even do it. You can't even sustain it or make it. Look to the heaven. Look to the stars. You can't even number one or two or, or a thousand or a million of them. And I hold them all in my hand because I'm the only one who can do something in your life. And Abram's faced with a decision we must all make. We must all make the decision. Are we going to surrender to Adonai and let him be our master? Or are we going to continue in our own way? Look at 
verse 6. He believed in Adonai. And God accounted it to him for righteousness. Wow. He believed in Adonai. He surrendered to God. He said, God, it is not Abraham. I don't believe in Abraham. It didn't say, God, I believe in the nation of Israel. God, I believe in the church. God, I believe in America. God, I believe in family. No, I believe in you, God. You are Adonai. You are master of all. Everything we have is in your hands. Everything I have is in your hands, God. And when he did that, immediately God says it was accounted to him for righteous living. And when we surrender to Adonai, God steps up in his rightful place. God doesn't want to be second place. He doesn't want to be third place. He doesn't want the leftovers. He wants to be first. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 33, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First. God wants it all, and he wants to be first. And when we trust in ourselves, it's a message. It's a mess. But when we trust in Adonai, it becomes a message, right? If we surrender it all to Adonai this morning, our lives, our marriages, our careers, our church, Adonai will declare surrender. As we declare surrender to him this morning, he will take his rightful place. Are you tired of your own way? Are you tired of your own results? Are you tired of your own strength? Adonai is worthy. And he is awesome. And he needs to be in his rightful place. We think about it this morning. Personally, in your own life. Have you surrendered at all to God? In my life, there are times when I feel like I have. And there's times when I feel like I haven't. <laughs> it's like, God, I trust in you. And I believe in you for all these things. And I pull it back from him and say, let me work it out myself. Man, if I could just tell this person that, if I could just convince her of this, if I could just get my kid to do this, if I could just get out, try to pull it back. Think about it in our church. I don't think the world's seen what God can do to a church that's fully surrendered to Him. If we declare God as our Adonai, our master of every service that's in this place, of every message that goes forth from this place, of every messenger that walks out these doors to go to a lost world, to share Christ, to impact his world. And I don't think the world has seen a, the impact that someone can have on this world to a church that totally surrendered to Adonai. Think about our country. Man, would it be that our country would just surrender back to God and say, you are God. We, we one nation under Adonai we surrender to you, Lord. We've taken it all, made a mess, and now we're returning to you. I, I think as we see that worked out in our nation, it would be a great thing. In your marriage, surrendering all to him. God, you're the master of everything we have, all that we do, in our families, for our children, all these things. Is he Adonai in your life? Have you come to know him and surrender to him? Have you surrendered to his name and his honor and him as Lord of all? That's our challenge this morning. And what a treasure 
What a privilege. What a blessing it is to call on Adonai this morning. Let's pray together.